Welcome to ACE Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health. Find the latest episodes on aace.com slash podcasts. And now let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Leslie Eldiri. I'm a practicing endocrinologist in Boston, Massachusetts. And we're going to be speaking today on this podcast about special considerations for thyroid disease in women. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today, our podcast faculty, Dr. Elizabeth Pierce. Dr. Pierce is a practicing endocrinologist in the Boston area who has a special focus in thyroid disease as well as a professor of medicine at Boston University School of Medicine, Boston Medical Center, and a former president of the American Thyroid Association from 2018 to 2019. So welcome, Dr. Pierce, and let's get started. Great, pleasure to be here. So we're gonna start off our discussion today by talking about thyroid function tests. So Elizabeth, what do you consider to be the first line choice as far as measuring thyroid function in pregnant women? So pregnancy is a difficult time for the assessment of thyroid function because pregnancy itself causes a number of changes in thyroid function tests. And first thing is just to remember that the non-pregnancy reference ranges for thyroid function tests don't really apply in pregnant women at all. Having said that, of the tests that are available, the TSH is usually the starting point. It's probably the most robust of the tests in pregnancy, but important to remember that in early gestation, when those HCG levels are high, they drive an increase in thyroid hormone production, which feeds back and causes a decrease in TSH, and therefore TSH is a little lower in early pregnancy normally than outside the pregnancy setting. An upper limit of about four for TSH is the current consensus. And how about other tests besides TSH? Uh, should we be measuring T4 and T3 levels during pregnancy? Yeah, so we often do need to get a sense of peripheral thyroid hormone in patients where the TSH is abnormal. The free T4 assays don't work very well in pregnancy. They just get confounded because there's so much estrogen around that drives an increase in thyroxine binding globulin, and then the free hormone tests just don't work very well. So I would say I would never order a free T3 test in pregnancy. I actually don't order it outside pregnancy anyway, because I think we just don't measure hormone at, at such low levels very effectively. If you want to measure a free hormone, it should be free T4. And the old assay, the free thyroxine index that sort of predates all the modern free T4 assays actually works better in pregnancy when there's a lot of binding globulin around. So if you have access to that free T4 index, that's probably a better way to look at free T4. If you don't, just be aware if there's a discrepancy between the free T4 and the TSH, the TSH is probably more likely to be correct. Okay. And regarding the TSH, should we rely on the normal range for everybody in pregnant patients as well? So in early pregnancy, we can't use the non-pregnancy reference ranges and therefore we want to decrease the TSH range a little bit from the non-pregnant reference range. So a range of 0.1 to 4 is about correct for early pregnancy. And I would probably use that for at least the first half of gestation rather than relying on the non-pregnancy reference ranges that are provided by the lab. Okay. 
Do you have any recommendations for goals for women who have already have a pre-existing thyroid condition and are on treatment both before they get pregnant and during their pregnancy? So preconception counseling is incredibly important for women of reproductive age who are being treated either for hyper or hypothyroidism. And we always want to make sure that women sort of go into pregnancy with well-controlled thyroid hormone levels because overt hyper and hypothyroidism are both associated with really devastating pregnancy outcomes. But also the fetus needs adequate thyroid hormone for normal brain development, especially in early pregnancy. So we certainly don't want women getting pregnant, if we can avoid it, with a TSH that's elevated. So in women who are hypothyroid, really important that they know the importance of getting adequate thyroid hormone in pregnancy, and that if they're taking levothyroxine, that even if they're beautifully controlled on that before conception, most of them are going to need an increase in their thyroid hormone dose to remain euthyroid during pregnancy because of that extra binding globulin that's around. So women on thyroid hormone for hypothyroidism, preconception should all know that the instant they become pregnant, I usually say it's okay to let the baby's father know first, but your endocrinologist or your primary care doctor, whoever prescribes levothyroxine needs that second phone call. And that they should empirically increase their levothyroxine dose as soon as they're pregnant by 25 to 30%, which is two extra tablets a week for women who take one pill a day. I will say that the preconception counseling in hyperthyroidism is far more complex. Um, that women with Graves disease who are going to become pregnant, we have to have a conversation about the fact that the antithyroid drugs can cause birth defects. And often we wanna consider definitive therapy with radioactive iodine or thyroidectomy before pregnancy is considered so that there doesn't have to be any exposure to those antithyroid drugs in early gestation. So that is a very nuanced conversation and for any patients who have hyperthyroidism, who are women of reproductive age, who are you know, considering pregnancy, I think that's a really important conversation for them to have with an endocrinologist. Thank you. And how often should we be checking thyroid levels during pregnancy? So generally, things are changing. Things are kind of really dynamic in the first half of gestation. The thyroxine binding globulin levels start rising at week seven, and they continue to sort of rise until they plateau around week 16. So in that period where the thyroxine binding globulin levels are climbing and thyroid hormone requirements are shifting, it's probably a good idea to check the TSH every four weeks. And then once women hit, you know, about 16 weeks gestation, things tend to stabilize and you can just check the TSH once kind of late second or early third trimester to make sure they're still in range. That's for hypothyroidism. For hyperthyroidism, depends a little bit on the severity and how, um, whether women are on antithyroid drug, but sometimes we follow even more closely in the first trimester, again, because it can be very dynamic. And there you have alterations in binding globulin. You also have sort of shifts in autoimmunity as pregnancy progresses that do require pretty close follow-up. And as far as monitoring TSH levels, we said that TSH of four is sort of the upper limit of normal how about in patients who are on thyroid hormone? Right. So this sounds a little discordant, but we recommend that even though we now really believe that the upper limit for TSH is four during gestation, that any woman who's being treated with levothyroxine, we should drive that TSH down under 2.5. 
And that's not necessarily driven by trial evidence because nobody's done clinical trials really to look at the exact TSH level that is appropriate. But we want to make sure we're not undertreating. And it's probably far safer to overtreat than to undertreat in pregnancy, given the importance of the thyroid hormone for the fetal brain development. So the American Thyroid Association guideline in pregnancy recommends that target TSH less than 2.5. And actually the obstetricians and gynecologists guidelines recommend that as well. And speaking of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, we know that they have some different recommendations than other societies about uh, management of hypothyroidism in pregnancy. Can you speak about that? So everybody's in agreement that overt hypothyroidism, which is where the TSH is elevated and the free T4 is low, that always requires treatment. There's total consensus there. But what's been really controversial is whether or not we need to be replacing thyroid hormone in those women with much more modest degrees of hypothyroidism, so-called subclinical hypothyroidism, where the TSH is mildly elevated and the free T4 is normal. And the American Thyroid Association guideline, which is, I think, what a lot of us in endocrine tend to follow, um, recommends kind of a stepwise approach where we know that women with mild hypothyroidism are at increased risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes. We're not 100% sure whether treatment with levothyroxine actually improves outcomes because we don't have great trial evidence for that. But it is a safe intervention. Endocrinologists typically would recommend treating any woman who's got thyroid autoimmunity, so positive TPO antibody when the TSH is above four, and any pregnant women, regardless of antibody status, always if the TSH is above 10. Whereas ACOG, which is the Association for Obstetricians and Gynecologists, takes a different stance, looking again at data that are imperfect, where we don't have definitive correct answers, and just breaks it down by subclinical versus overt hypothyroidism. So that guideline really recommends always against treating subclinical hypothyroidism and only treating overt hypothyroidism. Again, TSH that's high, free T4 that's low. So if we were to decide to start treatment for subclinical hypothyroidism, how much would you recommend and how would you do that? So typically, as is the case outside the pregnancy setting, you know, when somebody's only mildly hypothyroid, they don't really need full replacement doses. So for women who are only subclinical hypothyroid, we often start at 50 micrograms of levothyroxine a day and then check every four weeks to just make sure that that TSH is dropping below 2.5, which is going to be the goal of therapy. And the treatment of choice is levothyroxine as opposed to other types of thyroid hormone. Yeah, that's actually a really important point. So I've talked already about the importance of thyroid hormone for the fetal brain development. In the first half of pregnancy, before the fetus has a thyroid that's functional, it's relying only on the maternal thyroid hormone that crosses the placenta, and it's T4 that crosses, T3 does not. So women who are taking desiccated thyroid, where there's both T3 and T4 in their exogenous hormone, or women who are taking T3, T4 combination therapy, really any kind, the mother is going to see all that thyroid hormone, but the fetus would only see the free T4 that can cross over the placenta. So there's the possibility then that a woman with a normal TSH on T3, T4 combination therapy will have a fetus who's hypothyroid and who then might have downstream adverse effects on brain development. So the recommendation across the board from endocrinologists, from OB-GYNs is that in pregnancy, really the only treatment that should be considered for hypothyroidism is levothyroxine. 
And just to bridge the discussion back to preconception and, and during pregnancy, can you mention how do we choose among prenatal vitamins for pregnant women? Yeah, so this is really important. Well, we all need iodine in our diet to make thyroid hormone. That's the only thing as far as we're aware that iodine does. But pregnant women need more iodine than the rest of us, partially because they're making about 50% more thyroid hormone in pregnancy normally partially because in the second half of pregnancy, when that fetus has a thyroid that's working, the fetus needs some of that iodine also to build thyroid hormone. And then women who are pregnant lose a bit more iodine in the urine. And so for somebody who's non-pregnant, non-lactating adult, we need about 150 micrograms of iodine a day to maintain normal thyroid function. But in pregnancy, that amount is higher. Pregnant women need about 250 micrograms a day of iodine and in lactation, even higher, maybe up to 290 micrograms a day. And it's hard to satisfy that through diet. Iodine is present in iodized salt for women who add salt at the table. It's present in dairy foods in the U.S., but it's not marked on package labels. It's pretty hard to figure out exactly what you're getting and whether you're getting enough. And even mild iodine deficiencies associated with impaired intellectual development in the fetus. So the recommendation really is in the U.S. right now where as a country we're iodine sufficient, but where pregnant women are mildly iodine deficient, um, that's reemerged in the last 10 years, that women should be encouraged to use a prenatal vitamin that contains 150 micrograms of iodine per daily serving. And you need to look at the labels for that because only about 60% of the types of prenatal multivitamins that are currently sold in this country actually contain that iodine. I just want to say a few words about thyroid antibodies during pregnancy. So which antibody tests do you use and how do you use those to help your management? So there's a large literature now looking at the effects of mostly the TPO, the thyroid peroxidase antibody on pregnancy outcomes. And we know that women, even with normal thyroid function, who have those antibodies of present in pregnancy are at higher risk for both miscarriage and for preterm deliveries. The problem is we don't actually have any studies right now demonstrating that any treatment, including levothyroxine, for women who truly have normal thyroid function, but those antibodies present, improves outcomes. That's been looked at in pregnant women now in trials. It's been looked at in women serving preconception or pre-IVF. And so I don't think there's any role for routine measurement of the TPO antibodies across the board in all pregnant women, because if you find a positive antibody, we're not really sure we can intervene and do anything to improve outcomes. But the place where it is quite useful in thinking about hypothyroidism is that we know women who are subclinically hypothyroid, mild TSH elevation, normal free T4, who also have positive TPO antibodies are at increased risk for pregnancy loss and in those women who truly have an elevated TSH in addition to their thyroid antibodies, it probably is worth treating with levothyroxine. So for women with mild hypothyroidism, the TPO can help move you toward a decision to treat with levothyroxine if it's present. The other place where we use antibody testing in pregnancy is the TSI, the thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin or TSH receptor stimulating antibody of Graves' disease because that crosses the placenta and it can cause the fetus to have hyperthyroidism in the second half of pregnancy once that fetal thyroid is working. So that is an important test to monitor in, in pregnant women that TSI is the best test for that kind of antibody. And if that's markedly elevated, more than two and a half to three times the upper limit for the assay, uh, starting around week 18 to 22 when the fetal thyroid is working, 
it's important to have really close collaboration with maternal fetal medicine and neonatology because that's a fetus and then potentially a newborn who are at risk for Graves hyperthyroidism. Great. Um, so I think we can wrap up our discussion maybe with one last question. Who would you recommend screening for thyroid disease in pregnancy to the primary care clinician or obstetrician? Gee, thanks, Leslie. You gave me the most controversial question <laughs> in all of clinical thyroidology. <laughs> so there's absolutely no consensus on this question at all. If we were to test every pregnant woman with a serum TSH, um, a recent meta-analysis suggests that about half of 1% of all those women would have overt hyperthyroidism. And we know if we can identify those women and treat them with thyroid hormone, we probably do improve outcomes. We also, though, find another 25 or 3% of women with subclinical hypothyroidism where we're not sure if treatment makes any difference to them, but it makes people very nervous to be labeled with an abnormality in pregnancy. And then we think mostly, mostly the women with severe hyperthyroidism are going to come to attention clinically anyway. So those don't necessarily get picked up by screening programs for asymptomatic individuals across the board. Those women get picked up because they come in symptomatic. So this debate about whether or not we should screen really is about whether it's worth testing millions and millions of pregnant women around the globe in order to find the small proportion who have overt hypothyroidism that might not be diagnosed. And the answer may be yes, we don't know. But because mostly what we're going to find is subclinical hypothyroidism and there's no consensus at all as to whether or not that's an entity that requires treatment or that really should be identified, you can just pick your guideline. Whatever you are doing is in line with somebody's approach. ACOG really recommends largely against thyroid testing at all in pregnancy. In some countries, there is universal screening and every pregnant woman gets a TSH test. And most American endocrine societies kind of take a middle ground where we don't necessarily advocate testing every pregnant woman because I'm not really sure the evidence is there to do that right now but it's reasonable to check any woman who's at higher risk for hypothyroidism because we don't want to miss that overt hypothyroidism. And the ATA guidelines for this have sort of a ridiculously broad list of criteria for case finding, which includes anybody with a family or personal history for autoimmunity, a history of goiter, a history of known TPO antibody positivity, more than two prior pregnancies, morbid obesity, history of miscarriage, and the list kind of goes on, and it includes any woman with any symptoms that could be indicative of thyroid dysfunction, which I think, honestly, is basically any pregnant woman, because, <laughs> you know, if you ask enough questions, you will elicit some symptom in a pregnant woman that would allow you to test. So we're, nobody in the U.S. right now, no society in the U.S. is actually advocating universal screening, but there is a recommendation to think very carefully about women who might be at risk and to test those women broadly so we don't miss overt hypothyroidism where we know we can make pregnancy outcomes better for mom and baby if we do identify and treat that. Okay, great. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking us through the subject of thyroid disease and pregnancy. We had a lot of helpful tips today. And I just want to point the listener to a couple of other resources. If you're interested in reading more about this, the uh, 2017 American Thyroid Association guidelines that Elizabeth mentioned earlier go much more in depth on the subject. And then the ACE website, Thyroid Resource Center, has additional reading material and presentations about thyroid disease in general. 
So thank you all for listening in and have a good day. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.